Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom after getting to see some real football for the first time this year from the current Ohio State football team as uh, we were at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Saturday for uh, Ohio State scrimmage. We had the opportunity to watch the full scrimmage, and I think it certainly, uh, at least from my perspective, I certainly feel like I have a better feel for what the team looks like right now and could look like this season after having the opportunity to watch that scrimmage. Yeah, Dan, obviously it's one thing to talk to the players and coaches and hear their comments and, you know, try to project things you see from, you know, whatever it is we get to see in some of the shorter open practice viewing windows. But when you actually get to sit there and watch an entire practice scrimmage reps, 11 on 11, stuff like that, I think we can, we can both talk about, kind of what we're seeing a lot more intelligently than we would be otherwise. So if you had to pick one thing right now that really stood out to you the most in that scrimmage, what would it be? Certainly, Dan, it, w- it would probably be that early on in the scrimmage, there were, were definitely some struggles from the quarterbacks, definitely some struggles with the offense in general. I mean, and obviously the flip side of, of anything when it comes to, you know, Ohio State going head to head like this is that, you know, the defense looked looked good, right? Because they were getting the better of, of a lot of the, the early reps in certain and, you know, periods in, in drills and things like that. But certainly early on, Dan, in particular, uh, there was a, a red zone passing offense kind of drill where we saw the, the quarterbacks really not not uh, not be too hot uh, against that Jim Knowles defense. Yeah, there's always a good and a bad to it, right, when we're talking about something like this. So, you know, we've been hearing all spring that the DBs are getting their more hands-on balls. And it's like, on one hand, it's like, that's great, because we saw – the secondary have struggles last year. So that's great. The, the DBs are doing better. On the other hand, though, you could go, okay, well, how much of that is the DBs actually playing better? And how much of that is a fact that CJ Stroud's not throwing the ball against him anymore? How much of that is a fact that Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming aren't out there practicing this spring and Marv's only taking limited reps because he's such an established guy? All of that plays a factor. So I, I think we could see both sides of it out there on Saturday where I think you know there were a lot of encouraging things we saw you know from the defensive backs from the linebackers making plays and coverage but also at the same time I, I I think you know I certainly came away from that scrimmage thinking okay I don't think either of these guys are CJ Stroud yet like I I think to be truthful I think I came out of that scrimmage going okay I feel like there's some work that's got to be done here with these quarterbacks between now and September now, with that being said, I do think they got better over the course of a practice as we watch them. As you mentioned, that red zone drill, I believe there were 12 reps. They completed one pass in that. So I was like, I'm watching that and I'm like, oh boy, like this is rough. But as we watched the full scrimmage, I, I do think we saw improvement from both of them. And I think particularly Kyle McCord, it's, it seemed like when they got into the full team drills, they got into a scrimmage, he seemed to find his rhythm. And I do think that. I came out of scrimmage, the scrimmage, and I know you did too because you cl- included him in your list of standouts that you wrote about. Feeling like Kyle was a step ahead of Devin. Now it's just one scrimmage. We're going to be back at the Woody next Saturday. We'll see him in the spring game in a couple weeks, so we'll see if that continues. But I did come out of that first scrimmage feeling like 
uh, okay, it, it does seem like Kyle's maybe a step ahead of Devin right now. You know, we were back at the Woody on Tuesday, and Kyle seemed to be going first in all the drills, which before we had seen it be very much an even split. I mean, even on Saturday, it was as even as it could be. It was basically Kyle would go up there for first team, then Devin would go up there for second team, then the next rotation, Devin would go up there to first team, Kyle would go up there for second team. So they're definitely trying to keep those reps as equal as possible to evaluate them. But I do think, you know, we talked about handicapping this race before. I, I do think coming out of Saturday's scrimmage, I would tilt the odds a little bit more in Kyle's favor. Yeah, for sure, Dan. And, and like you talked about there, you know, they were keeping like a, a running tally, like a, a score for the entire practice, right, with a, a modified scoring system there. And early on, like the, the defense had built up a, a pretty substantial lead uh, through a certain portion of the day, but the tides did start to turn. Uh, one of the big kind of turning points, uh, if you're looking at it like that, I think was uh, Kyle McCord finding Jaden Ballard for a what like a 50 yard touchdown uh, one point kind of towards the the start of the second half of the scrimmage uh, on a double move by Ballard that was one of the big standout plays of the day and after that I thought the the offense started to have more success uh, Devin Brown made a couple of, of of plays as well but Kyle McCord I thought uh, led led certainly more of the scoring drives down the stretch to to bring the offense back and then he was the the quarterback on the field. Um, in the final series of the scrimmage where the offense had, you know, one, one final series, a, a couple of final plays to to swing the balance for the offense. And he he ended up getting that done with a couple of nice completions and then uh, it being punctuated with uh, what was it? A Dallin Hayden touchdown or, or was it Chip Tranum? One of those two guys uh, finished it off there. So I um, mean, Ryan Day even said afterwards, we got to talk to today on the field after the scrimmage. And he was saying like, you know, McCord really showed his leadership and, and had energy out there. And the and the rest of the offense was kind of feeding off of that. And I felt like you could get a tangible sense of that, Dan, from our vantage point uh, towards the, uh, you know, down the stretch there in that scrimmage. Yeah, the offense won the scrimmage 102 to 100 under the very modified scoring system that they were going with. You have a defense got points for things like sacks, pass breakups, uh, you know, third down stops, all that. The offense got points for first downs, you know, touchdowns plays of over a certain number of yards. I don't know the whole scoring system. Score doesn't really matter. It's more about uh, just, you know, evaluating and, and putting those guys in competitive situations, which is something Ryan Day has talked a lot about this spring, that they really want to create more competitive situations for guys in practice to prepare them to compete when the actual games come around. So, you know, a scrimmage was an example of that. You know, we've seen it, you know, every time we've been out there at practice, you know, after the initial stretching period, they do a you know competitive drill against each other of some kind. One day it was tug of war. On Tuesday it was sprints. On Saturday it was a goal line tackling drill. They're always doing some kind of competition before they get into the, the, the meat and potatoes of practice because they're just trying to foster that competition within the team. So um, certainly a scrimmage, a great opportunity to do that. As I mentioned, you you wrote out a list of players who stood out during the scrimmage. You know, I I I there some other ones as well. Um, kind of run down some of the standouts. You you mentioned Jaden Ballard. You know, he he's a guy that I had my eye on, particularly in the scrimmage, because of what we had seen three days earlier at Ohio State's pro day. Which you know we could talk a little bit more about pro day later in the show. But just in terms of Ballard. He was one of the current players who was out there catching passes from C.J. Stroud, along with Marvin Harrison Jr. and, and Xavier Johnson and Cade Stover. 
And I mean, I thought probably the two like best plays of the day, if you want to call it that in a pro day, were Jaden Ballard catching long deep balls from CJ Stroud. And so, you know, that was something that kind of opened my eyes. Not we already knew that Jaden Ballard had that skill set to be a deep threat, but just to see him do it in that setting, I'm like, all right, like seems like you know, maybe Jaden's making a move here. And then we saw it again on Saturday where he uh, uh, you know again goes out and makes that big play on really what was uh the, the first play of the live scrimmage portion of the practice he goes out he beats jordan hancock on a double move for a 50 yard touchdown and so you see that ability for him where he could be a guy that's a real weapon as a deep breath now we were talking to brian hartline on on tuesday about Jaden bauer we, we've kind of heard the same thing about Jaden bauer a couple times now from brian hartline where he still has to become a complete receiver. And, and the thing that Brian Hartline keeps saying about Jaden Ballard is, I've got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka and Julian Fleming out there. I'm not going to take those guys off the field unless the next guy behind them can do everything they do. And so I think on one hand, you look at what Jaden Ballard did at that pro day, you look at what he did in, in practice and go, man, this guy, this guy could really be a weapon as a deep threat. But... I think Brian Hartline is still looking at it and saying, yeah, that's great, but he also needs to continue to improve in all the other areas of this game before he's a guy we can really put out there and have him do something that Marvin Harrison Jr. or Emeka Buka or Julian Fleming can't do. Yeah, Dan, Brian Hartline was pretty transparent with with one of his comments uh, in particular about Ballard because he said outright that... um, that he feels like Ballard is is like six months behind where he kind of hoped he would be because he was hoping that that Ballard last fall would be where he's at right now. Now he also did say because we heard Ryan Day say after the scrimmage like this is Jaden Ballard's time. He knows that like right now is when he has to go. Um, and asked about that on Tuesday, Brian Hartline said that he doesn't really believe in like kind of saying that this is his time. He said that that Ballard could be here for six years if he wanted to, and that you know at, at any point in that you know, timeline, he could have, you know, his proverbial time. Uh, but, you know, l- like we talked about going into the spring, Dan, uh, for, for a lot of these wide receivers with the guys that with, with Julian Fleming out with Emeka Ibuka out, uh, Xavier Johnson didn't play in the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, there have been more opportunities and Jaden Ballard seems to be kind of at the top of the list of those guys who is generating some buzz for himself during a time in which, you know, he really needs to capitalize on that given all the depth ahead of him kind of at wide receiver. Uh, but there were some other guys as well, Dan, in terms of the wideouts that that made some big plays and kind of caught our eye, and you know perhaps earned earned a place on you know people's lists for standouts from the scrimmage. Uh, Carnell Tate lost his black stripe, the the first freshman to do so, uh, right after the scrimmage. Um, so that that was neat to see. We were like right there as that was happening. Um, also, I thought Caleb Brown really stood out, Dan. Uh, you know, with with Xavier Johnson not being out there to, to kind of play in the slot, obviously Abuka not there, things of that nature. Uh, Brown got some, you know, some first team reps, some second team reps, and, and he got a lot of targets. I thought, uh, you know, over the course of the day, he made a one big play um, from from Devin Brown downfield, kind of on a, you know, the, down the right sideline in, in a similar manner to the, the Jaden Ballard touchdown from McCord earlier uh, on. He also caught, I think, the lone touchdown in that red zone drill that we talked about, where the quarterbacks kind of struggled. Um, and so he, you know, it, it's kind of tough because how much do you, how much credit do you give them versus? You know, you know that they're not going to have as as many opportunities kind of with those top groups once some of the other guys return, you know, maybe 
in the summer and the fall and things like that. But certainly from what we saw, I thought he stood out. And Noah Rogers and Bryson Rogers, uh, the two other early enrollee freshman wideouts, uh, they had moments as well, Dan. They both made um, pretty nice catches at times uh, during that scrimmage. Uh, you know, I don't think you know none of the guys had like just a ton of big plays, but but I thought a lot of guys had had moments for sure. Yeah, I think it speaks to just again how ridiculous the depth is at that wide receiver position at Ohio State. How much talent they have. I mean, they don't even have Brandon Innes on campus yet, and and he's a five star wide receiver who's going to be there in June. So just the amount of depth Ohio State is at wide receiver, I, I think that was very much on display once again on Saturday where, you know, again, I mean, we're not even talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. or Mecca Buka or Julian Fleming or Xavier Johnson because Marv was the only one of those guys who actually participated in a scrimmage on Saturday. And yet those are the four guys who are probably going to play the most. So they've got all of these other guys vying for playing time, where that be Jaden Boward, Caleb Brown, Carnell Tate, Noah Rogers, Bryson Rogers, uh, Kojo Antwi, Keon Graves and Caleb Burton. They're both injured right now, so they're not really factoring into that. Uh, but, you know, all those other guys competing for playing time, uh, it's really an embarrassment of riches at that position. You know, the question becomes, you know, can any of those guys do enough to where they're going to really force their way onto the field this year? You know, I think... The future of that room is very bright, but, you know, again, you know, the, the one, you know, message that's been pretty consistent from Brian Hartline is if they're going to take snaps away from the starters, they have to be able to do all the same things the starters can do. And so just because they have all that depth doesn't necessarily mean they're going to start rotating more at receiver this year because the starters are so good. But it's certainly a good thing to have all that depth. And I certainly think you can feel good about the kind of depth that they're building in that room right now. Yeah, Dan. And how about on on defense for the Buckeyes as well? There were certainly some standouts there, of course, uh, given, you know, all the success they had early on. Uh, I think in this type of thing as well, like uh, fans are, are certainly looking for, you know, some of those younger guys, guys that are that are kind of trying to climb up the depth chart to see if if those are, are some of the guys that that flash in a setting like this. And I certainly think at defensive end, uh, that was certainly the case for Kenyatta Jackson. He had a couple of sacks, Dan, you know, obviously not live sacks because it's, you know, non-quarterback or non-contact for the quarterbacks, uh, but he was credited for a couple of sacks. He had another one that that would have been a sack. He got held by G Scott. Um, and then Ryan Day afterwards really said that, you know, they're, they're expecting that production. They, they thought he had a, a really good first year kind of learning the ropes. Um, you know, Larry Johnson just recently said, you know, building depth at defensive end behind Jack Sawyer. And uh, JT is, is, you know, one of his top priorities this spring. And, uh, you know, Jackson certainly looks the part too. I mean, he looks, you know, like a physical specimen right now. Certainly that that first year in the program uh, definitely was a, a good thing for him to kind of, you know, pack on some pounds, things like that. Uh, but he was a guy, Dan, uh, that, that certainly caught my eye in the scrimmage. Yeah, I think it was a good day for Kenyatta Jackson for sure. I think you can certainly see uh, the flashes of what he can do athletically. Um, you know, J Jack Sawyer, too, I think, is another guy who, you know, there's a lot of conversation uh, about, you know, him becoming a full time defensive end after uh, playing, you know, some of a Jack linebacker position last year. And I think you know, you could already see on Saturday of the way he performed in that scrimmage that, uh, you know, he, he looked more comfortable out there. Uh, you know, Jim Knowles, when he was meeting with the media on Tuesday, said that. Jack is uh, you know, getting better every day, and they think that really 
having him focus on that defensive end role has been a good thing for him. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism about what JT Tuomolowau and Jack Sawyer can be this year as those starting defensive ends. You know, then if you can have a guy like a Kenyatta Jackson break through, you know, Caden Curry build on some of the flashes we saw from him last year, you know, there's not as much experience at defensive end going into this year as there was last year with, you know, Zach Harrison and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Tyler Friday all gone. But I think there's a lot of, you know, certainly potential, you know, for that group. I think particularly with that top four of JT Tuomolowau, Jack Sawyer, uh, Caden Curry, and Kenyatta Jackson. Yeah, and a linebacker, Steel Chambers and Gabe Powers, I thought both made, you know, some big plays out there. Steel Chambers, of course, you know, being that 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 guy that with the first team unit, Without Tommy Eichenberg on the field this spring, uh, he had a sack. He had another uh, a PBU um, on on a pass attempt to Chip Tranum over the middle of the field. Um, Gabe Powers, you know, mostly running with that second team unit, of course, with with CJ Hicks there at linebacker. Uh, but in that red zone drill we we keep talking about here, Dan, uh, he had two uh, two pass breakups, I believe, in, in that drill and a couple of other stops outside of that drill as well, which is I think pretty big for him, considering you know we've been asking the question like. Where do where do guys like Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico, CJ Hicks, are they going to get, you know, any snaps next season? Because they didn't this past year um, with, the, you know, the the tight rotations at linebacker, the, the two linebacker alignment and things like that. So certainly good to see him kind of flash a little bit there and make some big plays. Uh, Ryan Day was also really just impressed in general. You, you just you know, we just talked about a couple of the defensive ends, but uh, Ryan Day mentioned, you know, some of the the interior linemen as well. The likes of, uh, you know, Tyleek Williams, uh, Mike Hall who got the, the silver bullet of the day, I believe, was it actually on that, that Saturday or the next day or whenever it was. Um, but, you know, Ryan Day really liked how the defensive line played. But that's another thing, Dan, because, you know, on the flip side of that, you can kind of see that the the offensive line might not, you know, be there right now because, you know, even Ryan Day said, I don't know if we've actually found all five guys on that first team unit on the offensive line just yet. Uh, but certainly a good sign for the defensive line. Yeah, I want to go back to Steel Chambers for a minute because I I thought, you know, watching that scrimmage, there were a lot of times I watched and I was like, Steel Chambers looks like he's the best player on the field right now. Like just the way he was playing, obviously, you know, scrimmage is different than the actual games in the fall. But, you know, he's a guy that I think, you know, played well last year, but certainly still has room to grow. And he just looked the way he was playing out there like a guy who's ready to take his game to an even higher level this year. I think I think he had at least two or three tackles for loss or sacks during the practice. Uh, he also had, you know, one really nice pass breakup. I remember with, you know, Chip Trainum coming over the middle and, and Steele just got there at the perfect time to break it up. And I, I think that's an area particularly where, you know, seeing Steele make plays in coverage. I, I think that's a really big thing because, you know, you think back to the end of last season, I, I think, you know, those linebackers as well as they played all year, I, I think there, you know, there were some weaknesses exposed in coverage at times. So I think a guy like Steele Chambers, it's really important for him to have continued growth as a coverage linebacker. And I think we saw flashes of that. Again, you mentioned Gabe Powers. I think we saw flashes of his ability and coverage, which I think is intriguing. Cause I think, you know, you mentioned the young players. Like I know, like I know CJ Hicks is the guy that like fans like really want to hear a lot about. I mean, I had like multiple comments on my scrimmage report about where's CJ Hicks. Why, why are we saying more about CJ Hicks? Well, first of all, we're not going to just make stuff up. Like if we didn't, if we didn't see a guy do something, we're not going to just like make up that he did great. If there's nothing to really base it off. Now that's not to say that I think CJ had a bad scrimmage. I would just say to be truthful, watching him, 
I wouldn't say that he stood out to me watching the practice. I, I do remember him making a couple of nice tackles. I also wasn't watching him on every play. So, uh, you know, I was watching the quarterbacks a lot just because of the importance of that position. And so I would say about a CJ Hicks is he didn't look out of place out there, which is a good thing because we've heard a lot about, you know, how he's still learning the defense. You know, even on Tuesday, Jim Knowles said, you know, he's still learning the fundamentals of how to play in a 4-2 base defense. And he thinks that's a difficult transition for someone coming out of high school. So, you know, CJ's still learning, but he didn't look out of place out there. You know, he made the plays that came his way. And so for me, I just noticed Gabe Powers more. He flashed more. But I'll be interested to see, okay, when we're back out there again this Saturday, do we see do we see the same things from Gabe? Do we see CJ flash more? You know, I thought Reed Carrico flashed a couple times. So it's going to be interesting. You know, the thing that I really like about having this opportunity to watch the scrimmages this year, in addition to the spring game, is I think in the past, we've so often been, the spring games are one opportunity to really watch these guys play football. So maybe we put more on that than we do anything else. But I think this year, having the opportunity to watch the scrimmages beforehand gives us the ability to evaluate more than just one spring game and give will give us more of a complete picture at the end of a spring. Yeah, Dan, it's hard to do because, you know, like we said, there was no ability to take videos where we're not, this isn't something we were able to watch back again. So, you know, obviously there's stuff we're missing here, you know, pretty much our, our, you know, what we're talking about here is the stuff we were able to, to quickly take notes on as we're watching the scrimmage and stuff like that. So there's definitely going to be, you know, certain plays and, and players that, you know, might be getting, you know, that we're, we're overseeing here a little bit or, or not, you know, getting the full picture of in a setting like this. Um, but, you know, kind of to that point, I would also throw out there a guy like Carson Hinsman, who like, th- th- that's what I'm talking about here is like, you know, I, I can't say that I was sitting there and evaluating, you know, Carson Hinsman on, on every rep there at center to see how good he did during that scrimmage. But, but, you know, Ryan Day said afterwards that, you know, for a center, if you didn't notice a guy all that much, it's probably a positive sign for him. And he called Carson Hinsman uh, the fact that he's kind of stepped up here as, you know, seemingly the front runner at center for the Buckeyes taking, you know, did he, t- did he not take like, like Dan, I don't know if, if you saw this or not, but uh, it seemed like he took like almost all the first team reps now, or were they? I'm pretty sure he did take all the first team reps. I, I'm pretty sure because the offensive line from what I saw, it was consistently Josh Fryer at left tackle. Donovan Jackson at left guard, Carson Hinsman at center, Matt Jones at right guard, and then at right tackle, they were splitting reps between uh, Tegra Shabola and Zen Mahalski. I think earlier in the practice, it was mostly Zen taking the first team reps, and then later in the practice, it was mostly Tegra taking the first team reps. And I think that's telling because, you know, certainly I think what it suggests to me is, I mean, Carson Hinsman certainly seems to be putting himself in position to be the starting center. Now, there's still a long way to go. We're only six practices into the spring. You know, Jacob James, another guy who could potentially compete for that role, hasn't even been out there because he's unavailable this spring after undergoing a surgery this offseason. So there's still a long way to go, but it certainly seems like Carson Hinsman is doing the things that he needs to do to give himself a really good chance to be that starting center, you know, and Victor Cutler, you know, he's maybe more of a work in progress, especially considering, you know, he played tackle at Louisiana Monroe. Now he's making that move to center. Um, you know, maybe he's not quite where he needs to be yet to 
at least at this point in the offseason, make as strong of a push for that starting center job. So it it feels like Carson Hinsman starting to, I don't want to say solidify yet, because it might be a little too early to say that, but it does feel like he's making a strong case for himself to potentially be that starting center. Uh, you know, it feels like, again, to say that I watched every play of the offensive line and every snap, I, I can't say that. But from what I saw, Josh Fryer seemed to hold his own at left tackle. I thought, you know, you know, I didn't really notice him having too many issues there at that left, the left side of the line, but I did notice the right side of the line having issues. Um, and so I, I do think that right now we've kind of talked about the offensive line in general being the biggest concern. I, I think now, if you really start to even specify that more to me, right tackle right now seems like the biggest position of concern because I think, you know, they have, you know, two young guys there with potential, Integra Shabola and Zen Mahalski, but you know, we talked to them last week and both of them talked about how that transition to right tackle hasn't been easy for them, which I, I found to be an interesting contrast because when we talked to Josh Fryer, he was basically, yeah, moving to left tackle has been no problem. You know, he's like very confident that like he's ready to start and, and he can lock it down. And then talking to Zen Integra, it was more like they're learning, you know, like they're, they're confident they're going to get there and 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 be at a point where they can be starters in the future. But I don't think either of them is there right now. The question now, of course, becomes, okay, between now and the start of a season in September, can one of those guys get there? Or is maybe the starting right tackle going to be somebody who's not even on the roster yet? Um, that we don't know. I think some of that's going to depend on who ultimately ends up in in the transfer portal after this spring ends. And it's going to depend too on just what happens over the next two and a half weeks. But, you know, that does feel to me like out of any position on the entire roster right now, that's the one that's probably the most unsettled and where Ohio State probably has the most uneasiness right now. Yeah, I mean, Maholsky said he, he what he dropped an f bomb in that interview, right? When he was talking about you know the left tackle position just being a, a hard place to play, and then Shabola also said that the transition to tackle has been harder than he expected. But you know, Ohio State's got to work with what they got right there, and you know, there's obviously a lot of development that has to happen. Uh, but you know, the good thing for them is they have a lot of time to do that, and these guys are getting a lot of reps right now. Uh, but Dan, a couple other guys that that stood out, you know, we already talked about. You know, some of the secondary guys looking good. The cornerbacks getting their hands on balls. I think Denzel Burke and Davis and Igbenosin both got their hands um, on some balls. Igbenosin was running with the second team unit mostly with with Hancock and Burke being the two first uh, first team cornerbacks. But then his kind of, you know, scrimmage was validated because him alongside with Carnell Tate, you know, Igbenosin lost his black stripe as well right after that scrimmage. And, you know, everything we're hearing from the coaching staff, uh, even Jim Knowles on Tuesday, you know, there, I feel like there's a lot of uh, positive hype right now, positive buzz around Davis and Igbenosin. Yeah, even though he's running a second team right now, I'm going to be surprised if Davis and Igbenosin is not a starting cornerback for Ohio State. The way that everybody keeps talking about him, it, there's clearly some some buzz around him. I think more so than any of the other transfers right now. I think, you know, I, I came into it thinking that Jihad Carter was the more surefire starter than Davis and Igbenosin in the secondary. Right now, it feels like Igbenosin has more momentum on his side than Carter does. And that's not to say that Carter won't 
ultimately be a starter. You know, he's competing with Cam Martinez at the nickel safety position right now. And Jim Knowles said he thinks Carter could potentially contribute at any of the free safety spots. So I still think there's a very good chance that he does ultimately emerge as a starter. But it seems like Igbenosin's the guy who's really turned heads so far this spring. And I mean, you know, again, I I, I think Ohio State... I get the impression that Ohio State feels really good about what it has at corner right now. I think Denzel Burke has really stepped up his game this spring and has really eliminated questions about whether he should be the number one cornerback on the team. I think Davis and Igbenosin is really impressing people with the way he's come in. I think, you know, Jordan Jordan Hancock, you know, he's a guy that I, I thought had an up and down day in the scrimmage. We saw him make some plays. We also saw him get beat a couple times. So, you know, I'm I'm still not quite sure what to think of Jordan Hancock, but Every time we've been out there, he's been running out there for the first team. So that obviously says something about him. They wouldn't keep running him out there for the first team if they didn't think that he he's a guy who had a chance to be a starter this year. And then, you know, Jair Brown, too. Even Ryan Turner, I thought, you know, showed some showed some stuff on on Saturday. I thought he, he had a good scrimmage out there. So I, I think they feel pretty good about what they have at corner right now and, and the depth they're developing at that position. And staying with the secondary here for a second, Dan, because obviously we got to see, you know, what, what they're thinking in terms of the first team alignments and things like that. We talk so much about, you know, where are, are these, you know, certain safeties going to end up lining up, uh, who's going to start, you know, who who is going to start the spring, you know, on that on that second team unit and things like that. Uh, Josh Proctor, Dan, got the, you know, bulk of those first team free safety reps, Lathan Ransom, you know, staying at that strong safety position. Cam Martinez, Dan, is a guy that's kind of having a, a good spring in terms of where the the team is, is putting him right now because he's been playing that nickel role in that first first team unit. Of course, we've talked about Jihad Carter and, and him having the potential to end up a starter for Ohio State. But right now, uh, you know, Cam Martinez has been, you know, dominating those first team reps at that, at that position. Yeah, you know, the, the nickel, the way Jim Knowles talked on Tuesday, it, it seems like the nickel position may be the one that's the most unsettled of the three right now, where you know, Cam and Jihad, they, you know, they need to see more from both of them before one of them is going to, you know, emerge as a starter in that secondary. You know, you, you know, you, you've been banging the drum. You, you thought Josh Proctor would be a starter for Ohio State this year. And the way Jim Knowles talked about Josh Proctor on on Saturday or Tuesday, it certainly sounds like that's the way that he's looking at things right now. Um, you know, but one thing that I maybe didn't anticipate is that Jim Knowles said that they're actually, as of now, planning to keep Leif and Ransom at strong safety, or bandit as they call it, and put uh, Josh Proctor at free safety, or adjuster as they call it. I, I thought they might move Ransom to that free safety position and then have Proctor compete with Sonny Styles at the strong safety position. But it seems like they're looking at it the other way around right now, which I'll be very surprised if Leif and Ransom is not a starter in the secondary. And so... I, I think that does then beg the question, okay, what's Sonny Styles' role gonna be? That, you know, I one thing I did notice is, you know, Sonny was mixing in there. Um, you know, they had, you know, when they were doing some inside drills during a scrimmage, they had Sonny, you know, mixing in there as almost like a a Sam linebacker. We saw him do some of that uh in the Georgia game. And so I do think there's gonna be a role for Sonny on this defense. Uh, you know, may not be his starting role, but I do think Sonny's a guy that with his skill set being that bigger bodied safety, he's someone that they think can help them. Um, I think if Leif and Ransom plays strong safety, then there's a good chance Sonny's going to be waiting another year for his chance to be a starter 
on defense, but it, you certainly get the impression that he is a guy that they want to find a role for, uh, you know, within the, the defensive scheme. Yeah, I know for for a fact, based on, you know, just my, my Twitter replies and mentions and things like that after, you know, even posting some of the clips from Tuesday's practice uh, viewing window that we got to see a little bit of just in terms of the first and second team kind of defensive breakdown there that, you know, fans aren't too thrilled about the fact that guys like, you know, Styles, uh, Hicks, Igbenosan are still kind of running with that second team unit mostly at the moment. But, you know, just a, a caveat that it's it, we're still in early spring here. Uh, there, there's a ton of time for, for them to figure all of that stuff out. And so, you know, the first team guys right now aren't set in stone. And and look, like I, I think there's every reason to believe like they're gonna play the best guys. Like I know, I know there's a lot of people out there who think, oh, this guy had you know a bad game against Georgia, so throw him on the bench and let's play the guy who's never played before. But they have, they're gonna evaluate every practice. They're gonna see way more football than even we're able to see from these guys, and and that's gonna ultimately guide their decision for who the best players are, who the guys who should be on the field. Um, and they go play that first game uh, against Indiana in September. And so, you know, I like you said, I think there's a lot of time to figure it out. I think just because a guy's running with the first team or the second team right now doesn't necessarily mean the guy's going to be a starter or he's going to be a backup. I think they're still working through a lot of that stuff. But I also think that, you know, ultimately, you know, if if, if a guy's not playing as big a role as you think he should be, like there's probably a reason for that. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I understand that sentiment, particularly on the defensive side of a ball, because of the way last year ended. But you know, I, I also think that the coaches are ultimately going to have the best idea of of which guys really deserve to be out there because they're the ones who are watching every practice. Yeah, Dan, and to kind of wrap up our our talk here from the scrimmage, and and obviously, you know, we only got to talk to Ryan Day on Saturday, so you know, Tuesday was our opportunity to talk to. Uh, Jim Knowles and Brian Hartline about some of the stuff they saw. Uh, but then I wasn't actually there for Knowles' portion of that, that interview session, but it sounds like he was saying that one of the conflicts between him and Larry Johnson was the, the notion of, okay, Larry Larry uh, doesn't want the, the defensive ends to kind of cross-train at that jack position. And it sounds like he kind of continues to win that kind of argument, Dan, as Knowles kind of said, we're going to put the jack to the side and that you know we're not going to be cross-training those guys at that position uh, this spring. Yeah, I don't know that it's even an argument anymore, but I think it's I think they've kind of come to an agreement now. I think back in February, I think they were maybe still in different places about how they should handle the jack position. But I they I, I think they are on the same page now with one that it's not best for Jack Sawyer for him to be playing the jack position. Uh, you know, same goes with Caden Curry, but you know, it's best for those guys to be able to focus fully on playing defensive end. And that I think now, you know, I think last year they were kind of using that Jack as like, okay, like these guys are already in the defensive end rotation. We're going to line them up somewhere different. I think now they're looking at it more as, okay, can we have a specific player or two to play that position, to specifically play that position and give us a different look uh, from, than what we have when our regular defensive line is on the field. So, you know, I think Mitchell Melton's a guy that, you know, if he's healthy, I mean, every time the Jack comes up, Jim Knowles, without even being asked about Mitchell Melton, brings up Mitchell Melton. And so I think he's likely the guy that they're looking at being a role player in that Jack package. But Jim Knowles did mention CJ Hicks's name again today as well, which 
you know, it, it sounds to me like if CJ Hicks is going to play the bigger role that a lot of people want to see him play this year, it's most likely going to be at that Jack position. You know, I think at linebacker, they like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, and they like Cody Simon. I think those are the three guys they're looking at as playing the most of the snaps at linebacker. You know, CJ Hicks, Gabe Powers, they could push there, but they're still probably not the guys who are going to play most of the snaps at linebacker this year. But I think it is possible that CJ could play a bigger role at that Jack position, because I think Jim feels like, you know, if there's a more specified situational role for CJ, but he might be able to handle that more as a now as a second year player than being a three down every down linebacker in a base defense. And so it's we're probably not going to really know much more about that until the fall. It doesn't sound like they're really going to use it much this spring, but it does sound like the Jack is going to be a part of a defense. How big a part of a defense? I don't know, but I think it, there is that that role is still going to exist in the defense. It's just going to be more separate from the guys that are playing the bulk of the snaps as traditional defense events. Dan, let's dial back the clock a little bit to pro day last week, which you know felt like a, a pretty big pro day for Ohio State, given that CJ Stroud, you know, had become the the betting favorite to go number one overall to the Carolina Panthers coming off of his stellar combine performance. And uh, he, he certainly d- didn't disappoint in his, you know, throwing exhibition at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. What was it? 14 representatives from the Panthers were there to watch him throw Dan. Uh, representatives, I believe, from all 32 NFL teams uh, is what the Ohio State program ended up saying. Um, so it, it felt like a big one, Dan. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously there, there wasn't a pro day because of COVID a couple of years back and things like that. Um, so with, with Stroud potentially being in that mix for the number one overall pick, it was certainly a big day for the Buckeyes. Obviously, it was not the only big time prospect that worked out that day, uh, but hard to start anywhere else other than Stroud in terms of our pro day talk here. Yeah, pro day is always a big day at Ohio State. I mean, it all it pretty much always attracts representatives from all 32 teams. I mean, Ohio State always has a lot of draft prospects, but a pro day always feels bigger when you've got a top quarterback prospect there. That's certainly uh, what draws the national attention. It's why NFL Network and ESPN and and all of them were there was uh, because of CJ Shroud being there. And so uh, certainly I think he was the headline attraction. And I, I think it was another great day for him. I think, you know, I know Ryan Day, you talked to him after the pro day and he called it, quote, as good of a workout as I've seen. And uh, Ryan Day used to be an NFL quarterbacks coach, so he's seen a lot of them. Now, he's a little biased here. I mean, of course, with uh, C.J. Stroud being his quarterback, I don't think he's going to come out and say, yeah, that sucked. But uh, I also think that those of us watched it, I, I think certainly, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it was a good day uh, for C.J. Uh, you know, again, it's it's throwing routes on air. I mean, how much can you really analyze that? Uh, but, you know, I think it was a good showing for him. You know, I think it was a you know pretty up-tempo workout. You know, got a lot of throws in there in a short amount of time. Um, you know, and I think it's just, you know, for him, it's really, it's twofold. I mean, one, it's just checking another box. You know, it's, it's, he already had a great showing up combine. He already has, you know, two years of impressive game film. It's just checking another box. And then certainly in that setting, giving him an opportunity to really throw up close and in person for the teams that are considering drafting him, which of course starts at the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, they sure looked interested in him. Now, granted, the very next day, they had that same contingent of people at 
Alabama's pro day to watch Bryce Young. Uh, they also went the day after that to watch Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. They'll be at Florida later this week to watch Anthony Richardson. So they're doing their due diligence on all the quarterbacks. You know, it's it's too simple to say they brought 14 guys to Ohio State. Clearly, they're drafting C.J. Stroud. They're, they're doing their due diligence, but you know, it, it's also it's not very common that you know the owner of the team goes to a pro day, and the Panthers owner was there. So it's clear. They have a very real interest in CJ. They're still making that decision about who they're going to draft. But, uh, you know, certainly, you know, I mean, I went into it thinking that the Panthers are likely to draft CJ Stroud if a number one overall pick. I I still, if I was betting on it, I would bet on CJ Stroud being the number one overall pick. I, I know there have been some rumors here, you know, over the past week, particularly that uh, the Panthers really like Bryce Young. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be one of those two. I mean, I'll say this. I will be I will be very surprised if CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are not the top two picks of a draft. I know, you know, Anthony Richardson has eye-popping tools and someone could be tempted to draft him very early, but I will personally be very surprised if the top two picks of a draft are not CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. It's just a question of will it be CJ going to Carolina and Bryce going to Houston, or will it be Bryce going to Carolina and CJ going to Houston? If you wanted to have a grape about Stroud's pro day performance, you could maybe bring up the fact that he didn't run the 40 yard dash, but, you know, asked about that after the fact, he was like, listen, none of the teams even asked me to run the 40 yard dash. And if they had, then I would have, but he felt like he didn't really need to, you know, therefore he didn't, we didn't end up seeing him uh, do that Dan at pro day. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Does it? I mean, if we're being real, he had more to lose than gain by running a 40 and, you know, the thing about the 40 is no draft prospect goes out there and just runs a 40 without having trained for it. Like they all do extensive training to get their 40 times down as quickly as possible. And so in CJ's case, was there really any reason for him to spend weeks training to run a fast 40 when he could spend that time continuing to polish himself as a passer and prepare for his pro day and combine throwing workouts? No, not really. And so I think that ultimately is why CJ Stroud didn't run the 40 because it just didn't really matter that much for him. Now, the 40 did matter for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba did exactly what he needed to do in the 40 at Pro Day, running a 448, which is plenty fast enough for a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, you know, you think of top slot receivers in the NFL, you think of a Cooper Cup, I think he was a mid 4-5 guy. So I I went into Pro Day thinking anything under 4-5 is a good time for Jackson Smith and Jigba, and that's what he did. And, you know, even, even if you factor in, you know, the fact it's a handheld time at Pro Day and, and times are variable. I know some people had him at more like 4-5-3, and so even if you, you want to go and say, okay, it's a 4-5-3, even that is a good enough time. For Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, I, I I don't think anyone really expected him to go out there and run a four three. You know, he had he said after the fact, but his goal was to run a four four seven, and so he was very close to hitting his goal. And and to me, I think running what he did when you then pair that with his game film and just how good a receiver we know him to be because of what we saw from him at Ohio State. In my mind, he cemented himself as the draft top receiver and should be the first receiver off the board come April. Yeah. We talked about before the combine that like one of the the things about him was, you know, does he have that elite 
you know, straight line speed. And he sure certainly showed that, you know, with a four, four time there, uh, Dan, how about a guy that, you know, maybe people weren't anticipating as much in terms of some of these pro day workouts, but a guy that, that might've, you know, boosted his stock more than anyone else on pro day, uh, Tanner McAllister, who ended up running the, the fastest 40 of anybody at Ohio state pro day with a four, 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 and also performing very well. in you know, all the other events as well. Yeah. You look at Tanner McAllister's numbers across the board, a 44440, a 69 second free cone, a 4.15 second shuttle, a 37 inch vertical jump, a 10 foot free broad jump, and 22 reps on the bench press. Uh, if you're not a draft nerd like me and you're going, what the hell do those numbers mean? They're all great numbers. Those are all numbers that are, are right uh, where you want to see them for, for a defensive back. And so I think of anybody at the pro day, I think Tanner McAllister was in my mind, the big winner. I think he's the guy, you know, he, he went into it. Most people were not projecting him as a draft prospect, uh, as a player who would be picked in the draft. I think mean, now you're hearing more people say Tanner McAllister, he could be a guy to watch in, in the late rounds. And so I, I think, you know, he's the guy who I definitely think helped himself. You know, I think, you know, CJ had a great day, but he was already up there as a top two pick in the draft. You know, Paris Johnson had a great day, but he was already up there as a top 10, top 15 pick in the draft. You know, Jackson, I think, did help himself by running that 40. But I think all in all, you know, I think the guy who you know really helped himself the most was Tanner McAllister. And Cam Brown was calling his shot for, you know, potentially running a, a 4.2 second 40 yard dash. Uh, so a lot of there was a lot of eyeballs on to see what he was going to end up doing. In that setting, we've we've heard for years that you know he's one of the fastest guys on the team, but ends up Dan running just a, a four five three, uh, you know, which which is not a terrible number number by any means, but considering the expectations, it was a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, that's that's the problem with uh, you know making a bold claim about how fast you can run is that then when you don't run that, your time looks worse by comparison. And so you know, I think you know a four five three is a respectable time. You know, I think the problem for Cam is, you know, I, I think he's a guy who's already on that fringe of being a draft pick. A four or five free is not going to help him. And if and if you if you were evaluating him on on the you know now I know you know from you know some people I've talked to that you know I I don't I don't know that NFL scouts ever thought he was that you know sub four four guy necessarily just watching him on film and you know I think. You know, he may have used to have that speed and the fact that he had the injuries he's had at Ohio State, you know, he does he maybe doesn't quite have the speed that he once did. You know, he was even dealing with an injury in the pre-draft process. So maybe he wasn't able to, you know, train quite as much as he would have been able to if he was fully healthy. But I think, okay, you, you've got those lingering injury questions. You know, if 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 you have that perception of okay, well, maybe he's not as fast as he used to be because of all the injuries he's overcome and he's had to deal with all those injuries, it, you know, that, that in itself becomes a red flag. And so Cam, you know, I think he, you know, he looked good in the drills out there, but you know, to me, if he was, he really needed to do something special from a workout standpoint, if he was going to cement himself as a, for sure draft pick, I don't think he was able to do that. And so I think, you know, he's a guy who's going to very much go into the draft of being right on that fringe of, Maybe he's drafted. Maybe he's not. It's kind of a weird one because like, you know, despite the fact that he might have run that, you know, a closer to a four two previously in his career and things like that, you'd have to think that if you're calling your shot like that before a combine setting or a pro day setting that you would have run something similar to that leading up to it or something. But, you know, who knows as far as that's concerned, 
Another guy that we didn't get to see run the 40, Dan, that also didn't run the 40 at the combine was Zach Harrison. Another guy who's put up very fast 40 yard dash numbers in the past. We talked about uh, previously the fact that he ran that, you know, 4.47 in high school. And, uh, but we did not end up getting to see, you know, just how fast Harrison is still just looks like a, a freak athlete though, Dan, when you just see him in kind of that setting with his, his height, his length and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was very intrigued to see him run a 40 because I miss a guy who ran a four, four, seven in high school. So I was definitely curious to see if he could still run that. Um, you know, I think it, it's probably safe to assume he was not going to run that if he run it, because I think if he was going to run that, he would have run it. And so it, it may honestly be a smart play if you have that time from back in the day. And maybe you, you know, because because he's significantly bigger than he was back then, if he can't run that now to just kind of leave it as a mystery of of how exactly fast he he can run the 40 in. And so, you know, I my feeling is that probably has something to do with it. That's not to say that he's slow. Like you said, I mean, he's still a guy who, you know, you look at him, he's very impressive athletically. You know, I mean, he did, you know, in the tests that he did do, he he put up good numbers. We we talked about it before of a combine. He was a guy that if he could really have that phenomenal workout, that, that he could maybe push himself up into that first round conversation. Yeah, I don't think that happened. Like, I think, you know, realistically, you know, I, I think if it, that kind of thing that could have happened, I, I don't think that happened. But, I, you know, I think he's a guy who's solidly in that day two range. You know, I, I don't expect him to be a first round pick at this point, but I think he's a guy who's comfortably in that second to third round range. And I would expect to hear him hear his name called on Friday of the draft. Well, Dan, it was certainly a good week to have Garrick on the podcast uh, last week, previewing a huge recruiting weekend for Ohio State, of course, with the scrimmage taking place over the weekend. There was a ton of high profile visitors and things like that. It was a packed house at the Woody uh, on Saturday between the media and all the visitors and things like that. And uh, it, it paid off, Dan, pretty quickly there because coming out of the weekend, Ohio State, you know, got got two commitments and they just so happened to be twin brothers then. Yes, Deontay and Devontae Armstrong, four-star offensive lineman from St. Edward High School. Uh, you know, certainly not a big surprise to see them commit. Uh, these are guys who uh, grew up rooting for Ohio State, uh, got offered by Ohio State back in January after camping at Ohio State last year. There was always an expectation that they were going to commit together and play at the same school, even though they they had said they weren't necessarily going to go to the same school. I think it was always the expectation. I mean, they basically had identical offer lists. And so I think there was always an expectation that those guys were going to go to the same school. Uh, and that school's now uh, Ohio State, which already has four offensive linemen in the 2024 class between uh, the Armstrong twins, Ian Moore from Indiana, who's a top 100 prospect, and then Mark Nave, the offensive lineman from Toledo, who uh, Garrett talked about last week. So uh, certainly a good start for Justin Fry. Still, uh, you know, would, he he still wants to land a couple bigger fish at, at offensive line to round out this cycle. Uh, Jordan Seaton, a guard from D.C., is still a high priority target for Ohio State. Uh, they'd also like to be able to land, you know, one of the top offensive tackles in the class to, to round out this class. So still plenty of work to be done for Justin Fry, but a good start in a class where he really needs a good class because obviously we've talked a lot about some of the offensive line question marks 
for the current Ohio State football team, uh, you know, some of that has to do with the fact that, quite frankly, the recruiting in Greg Stadrawa's last few years at Ohio State was not up to the standard that it should be at Ohio State. And so it's really important for Justin Fry in these first couple of cycles that he's at Ohio State to be able to replenish some of that talent at offensive line. And he's off to a good start here in 2024 after bringing in a strong class in 2023. And coming out of that weekend, it seems like there's, you know, some tea leaves, some smoke that, you know, Ohio State might have more commitments uh, coming soon here, Dan. Uh, you know, who do you find the most likely guys that are kind of in that discussion right now? Yeah, it's dangerous to say because, I mean, I mean, but who knows, we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon and with some of the hints that have been dropping, it wouldn't be shocking if there was a commitment even by the time uh, that this drops. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But I think, you know, some of the names that, uh, you, you look at right now is guys who have recently visited who I think, you know, could be on commitment watch. Uh, you know, Peyton Pierce, a linebacker from Texas, is a guy who seems really high in Ohio State. I do know that Garrick talked to him on Sunday and he told him that he wasn't going to commit immediately. So uh, probably not imminent, but certainly a guy who I think they are trending very much in the right direction for. Uh, Sam Williams Dixon, uh, a running back. Uh, who's he's going to be playing in uh, Pickerington uh, this year after previously uh, playing elsewhere in Ohio. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, I think certainly uh, could commit soon. Uh, Jeremiah McClellan, wide receiver from St. Louis. I, I know that, you know, he's a guy who um, there seems to be some buzz about him potentially becoming a Buckeye. Uh, and uh, Reggie Powers, a safety from Centerville, who who just got an offer on Saturday he, he's a guy who people think could commit to Ohio State very quickly. So, you know, those are some of the names to watch. Uh, another big name to watch is James Peoples, who's going to be visiting Ohio State this weekend, uh, you know, for an unofficial visit. You know, he's planning to come back for an official visit in the summer. But I, I think there's some feeling that potentially, you know, there he could come out of a weekend as an Ohio State commit. And, you know, I mentioned two running backs there, James Peoples and Sam Williams Dixon. Well, there's a reason why there's a big push now for maybe both of those guys to commit to Ohio State soon. And that's because the piece of recruiting news that dropped after we recorded last week that we, of course, would have asked Garrick about if, if it had come before we had recorded. And that being Jordan Marshall committing to Michigan, which, you know, certainly uh, that is a significant loss for Ohio State. He's a top 100 prospect uh, from the state of Ohio. He becomes the first top 100 prospect from the state of Ohio in 10 years to commit to Michigan. And uh, my understanding is the Buckeyes really wanted him, that they were uh, very disappointed by the outcome of that one. And so, uh, you know, anytime you lose a player who's a high priority target to your rival, that one's going to sting, especially when it's a guy from your own state. And so I think you know, that's certainly a factor in trying to lock up a commitment from James Peoples, potentially doing the same with Sam Williams Dixon. Uh, I think Ohio State would like to uh, respond quickly uh, at the running back position after missing out on Jordan Marshall. But, you know, I do think it's important to clarify, you know, I know there's been, you know, a lot of chatter out there about, you know, how heavily Michigan is recruiting Ohio right now. And they are. I mean, they're having a lot of success in Ohio right now. They already have four uh, commits in the 2024 class from the state of Ohio. And that's certainly notable. I mean, the fact that, you know, they're having this kind of success 
uh, in the state of Ohio after beating Ohio State for the last two years. Uh, that's certainly no coincidence. Uh, certainly more and more players from Ohio are taking notice of Michigan. And I think Michigan is making a concerted effort to recruit players from the state down south, as they would call it, uh, and 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 trying to bring some more Ohio players into their program. And so, you know, that's a concerted effort. It is notable. But I, I do think it, we should clarify that Jordan Marshall's the only one of those guys who's actually a loss for Ohio State. The other players that they've gotten from the state of Ohio did not have offers from Ohio State. You know, the offensive linemen that Ohio State got from in-state were guys that Ohio State wanted more than the Ohio offensive linemen who have committed to Michigan. So it's certainly notable that Michigan is – uh, having some success recruiting in Ohio. And the fact that they got Jordan Marshall, like that one, we shouldn't we shouldn't spin or sugarcoat that one. That one's a big loss for Ohio State. And if they continue to lose players of that caliber, like you remember Garrick talking last week about Bryce West, that's a guy who is also seriously considering Michigan as an Ohio guy. If Ohio, if Ohio State was to lose that one, that would be a huge loss. For Ohio State. And so there are some, you know, certainly intense recruiting battles happening right now between Ohio State and 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 Michigan. And I think that's certainly going to continue. But, uh, you know, you have to keep it in a proper context, too, of, you know, which guys are actually a recruiting loss for Ohio State and which guys are going to Michigan because Ohio State didn't actually want them. Either way, Dan, it's certainly stoking the flames of the rivalry, even in March here when it comes to Ohio State and Michigan. That will be something to keep an eye on moving forward. And Dan, another big recruiting weekend coming because Ohio State is going to have Student Appreciation Day on the 1st of April this upcoming Saturday. Um, guys like, you know, Peoples, we already mentioned, a 2024 quarterback, Air, Air Nolan coming in. Dan, uh, Marcellus Williams, another big time cornerback, Charles Lester. That's a, that's a five star cornerback right there, I believe. And so, you know, it, it's going to be you know, even more, uh, you know, high profile visitors coming in to take in the festivities at a student appreciation day this coming weekend. Yeah, we will be there again. Uh, you know, Ohio State students love the opportunity to attend that practice as well. So certainly looking forward to that and Ohio State certainly looking to build some momentum on, on the recruiting trail. Feels like there might be some bubbling up for Ohio State. I think they need some, as we talked last week, uh, until they got the Armstrong twins committed, they only had four commits in the 2024 class. So certainly a, a run of commitments here for Ohio State, if that's something that they're able to materialize here over the next month, is something that would be welcome in Columbus. I uh, want to take the rest of the show to talk about uh, some other sports, uh, particularly women's basketball, uh, which uh, their run did come to an end on Monday night when Ohio State lost in the Elite Eight uh, to Virginia Tech, 84-74, the final score of that game. But we don't want to gloss over what Ohio State accomplished in the Sweet 16 because uh, we talked about it last week, uh, playing UConn. That was going to be a tough game. Uh, most people were not picking Ohio State to win that game. But Ohio State did win that game. Ohio State beat UConn 73-61 to in the Sweet 16, which not only marked the first time that Ohio State made the Elite Eight in 30 years, but also snapped UConn's streaks of 14 straight Final Fours and 16 straight Elite Eights. And so uh, this was a momentous win for Ohio State. Some are calling it the best win in Ohio State women's basketball history. 
Uh, I think it's certainly up there. I think certainly at the least the biggest win Ohio State had had in in the last 30 years. And I think, you know, this is an Ohio State team that, you know, while they came up one game short of making it to the Final Four, I, I think Ohio State can hold its head high with what it was able to accomplish this year, going 28 and 8 with with nine ranked wins and making the Elite Eight for just the fourth time in school history. And Dan, there's there's no reason to believe that the, the future of Ohio State women's basketball won't be bright. Uh, you know, you have Taylor Mike Sell leaving, but you know Cody McMahon's star has really risen. Uh, that's a name that's been on, on on the tip of everybody's tongue here recently. Uh, she will be back, and and it sounds like J.C. Sheldon may even be cons- uh, considering returning for another year with the Buckeyes. You know, as that you know backcourt floor general there, Dan. Yeah, she had said, I, I asked her after the game on Monday night, and she said she wasn't sure yet. But, you know, even within the context of her answer, she talked about the kind of team they could have next year. So I think, you know, that's certainly something that sounds like a distinct possibility that they could have her back. And really, other than Taylor Mikesell, could potentially bring back uh, the, the, the rest of the core of this year's team. So, you know, we'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Kevin McGuff did say that, you know, they're going to be adding some players one way or another. So, you know, they're certainly going to look and see who's available in the transfer portal, uh, you know, certainly try to, you know, bring in uh, some new talent, uh, you know, in terms of high school recruits as well. But, you know, I, you know, he said it, you know, he said it after a game, he said, you know, quote, I think our best days are still ahead of us. And I think, you know, the, the future of, of Ohio State women's basketball looks bright. I, I think, you know, again, I mean, Cody McMahon is someone who, you would look at and think she's going to be one of the best players in women's college basketball for the next three years. Uh, certainly if JC Sheldon comes back, that'll be huge. Uh, you know, I think, you know, if you, if you're looking at where could they, you know, get a boost for next year, you know, kind of like we talked about the men's team, you know, you know, size into post is something that they could use more of, you know, I think that's something that hurt them against Virginia tech. They, they, they only had one player in the rotation uh, that being Rebecca Makula Shakova who is over six feet. And so I think adding some, you know, size and depth in the post could certainly help. You know, they only had really seven players playing at the end of the year. So I think, you know, if they can build a little bit more depth uh, for next season, I, I think that could go a long way as well. But I certainly think Ohio State, you know, is going to go into next season as a team that's going to have high aspirations again. And we'll see uh, if they can have, you know, similar or even surpass or success that they had this season. And it's also interesting that, you know, Kevin McGuff said after the win over UConn that, you know, it's it was beneficial for them to have the, you know, Big Ten tournament played a week before Selection Sunday, which is certainly something that people were seeing with some of the, the men's schools from the Big Ten. You look at a Purdue and all the, the early losses from the Big Ten, um, you know, with, with the Big Ten tournament for the men going right up against you know, the start of the NCAA tournament. So, you know, that's something I, I definitely feel like maybe should be considered uh, going forward for the Big Ten on the men's side. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, at least conversations should be had because, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, clearly, you know, the Big Ten's performance in the NCAA tournament has not been where anyone wants it to be the last few years. And so I do think they need to look at, okay, what can we do to help give our teams a better chance uh, to make the NCAA tournament. And I think, you know, that is something that tangibly benefited Ohio State. It, you know, benefited Iowa and Maryland and other Big Ten teams that made a deep run of a women's tournament is that if they had a whole week off after the Big Ten tournament to get fresh, to get healthy, whereas, you know, the men's teams, if you're playing in that final, 
you're going all the way up until Sunday. And then in some cases, you've got to be back on the court four days later to play in an NCAA tournament game. Dan, and on the, you know, in terms of news on the men's side of things for the Buckeyes, uh, we did get the announcement from Bryce Sensabaugh that he will enter the 2023 NBA draft, but he did also leave the door open, you know, maintaining his eligibility for the possibility to return to Ohio State. Obviously, we have seen this done many times in the past. It's worked out on, you know, both sides of the equation for Ohio State before. You look at guys like Caleb Wesson and, and EJ Liddell, who both tested the process one year came back for another season before ultimately going to the NBA draft. But you look at just last year, I believe Malachi Branham uh, kind of did the same thing where he put it out by with saying, you know, maintaining his eligibility, but ultimately deciding to turn pro. Um, and, and I don't know, Dan, I, I, I tend to believe that that Bryce Sensabaugh is probably going to turn pro. Uh, you just look at, you know, the fact that he, he kind of ended the season with that knee injury, Dan, and the fact that he's had kind of knee issues before, Uh, Just looking at that alone, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, if you come back for another year at school, you have another big knee injury, you know, not expecting that to happen, but just that, that being a possibility and potentially hurting his draft stock, I kind of feel like, you know, he's, he's he's probably, he's probably going to turn pro. However, there still is the giant, you know, caveat of the fact that his defense is such a big thing that, you know, everyone's kind of criticized him for and things like that. And probably something that, that could be shored up by another year in college. Yeah, and I don't expect him to come back, but you know, I think the fact that he at least left that door open is something. You know, I mean, I think certainly it's going to ultimately come down to the kind of feedback that he gets over the next month as he goes through, you know, the NBA draft process, NBA draft combine, all that. I think all of that is going to really ultimately guide his decision of whether he should stay in the NBA draft or come back to school. You know, I think you know if it comes out, hey, you're going to be a top twenty pick and he's probably going to stay in the draft. If, you know, there's maybe some more doubt about that, then, you know, maybe he becomes convinced to stay at Ohio state for another year and continue to develop. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, I agree with you, but I think, you know, if I'm putting money on it, my money would be on Bryce ultimately staying in the draft and and going uh, to the NBA next season. But uh, certainly uh, I think Ohio state would uh, gladly welcome him back. If, uh, he decides he does want to play another year. Of course, since they don't know that, they they have to prepare for all alternatives. And uh, we've seen that with the number of guys that Ohio State has been connected to in the transfer portal. There's been a lot of names that have been reported as, as guys who Ohio State could potentially be interested in. Uh, Griffin, I know you've been tracking that some. Who are you know a few names right now that people should know as, as guys who you know, could potentially end up at Ohio State or guys who they're really targeting right now. Yeah, Dan. So so out of the on three college basketball transfer rankings right now, guys in the portal that Ohio State has been linked to, there are five guys in the top 15 as far as that's concerned. I'll run through some of those guys quickly here. Nick Timberlake is a guy we talked about previously on the podcast, one of the first kind of guys Ohio State was linked to uh, a thousand guard, six four, has put up huge numbers on offense, a three point sniper, uh, four thousand. Um, he's a guy that's that's met with Ohio State, but he has a ton of high level interest from blue chip programs. Uh, so there's a lot of people inter- you know interested in him. Uh, on three has him at number six in their rankings as well. Uh, Jamison Battle, obviously a familiar name, the Minnesota wing, a six seven guy, a shooter, a scorer. He averaged seventeen and a half points a game two years ago kind of had some injury issues this past year, uh, averaged 12.4 points per game this past year. 
He's been visiting some Big Ten schools as well, like Indiana. I haven't seen that he's visiting Ohio State or anything like that, but that's a name Ohio State has been linked to as well. Uh, there's Chris Ledlam out of Harvard, a 6'6 wing who averaged 18.8 points a game this past year. Um, Khalif Battle from Temple, another 6'5 guard, put up big numbers scoring-wise. Uh, he actually has a crystal ball to UCF, so you know maybe Ohio State's not going to be a front runner for, to land him. Also, Dan will finish out here with the 13th ranked, you know, on three transfer portal guy in college basketball, uh, Jackson Pavel Pavletsky. Dan Pavletsky. If, if I'm butchering that, you know, so be it. But another guard from Wofford, averaged 15.1 points per game as a freshman this past year. You know, a lot of those guys. Uh, you know, kind of guard wings, but, you know, I've certainly seen Ohio State, you know, in the mix with some bigger forwards as well, Dan, um, moving forward here into the offseason. Griffin, you bragged last week that you still had all four of your final four teams left. Do you still have, I don't remember, do you still have any left? Oh, Dan, you, you cruel bastard. All four of my final four picks got eliminated in the sweet 16 round. So it was like right after I called my shot there, they all just came tumbling down like dominoes. Yeah, mine are also all out. I did. I, I had Texas still alive in the Elite Eight, but they were ultimately eliminated. So uh, a final four that none of us saw coming. Uh, San Diego State, which features uh, former Ohio State player Jadon Ladee. Uh, Florida Atlantic, who had never even won an NCAA tournament game before this year. Miami and, and all that NIL money that they invested into their team is, is paying off as they are in the final four. And UConn, which... I'd have to say right now, I, I'd have to pick UConn to win it all. The way they've been playing, they have looked like the best team in the tournament. I'm going to say UConn beat San Diego State in the final. What about you? Yeah, I'm going Florida Atlantic all the way. It wins it all. Because why wow. not? A true Cinderella story here. They've looked very good, knocked off some teams. And, you know, who's to, say, who's to tell them they won't win it all, Dan? It has been that kind of tournament. I I, I expected a chaotic tournament but I didn't expect it to be this chaotic. So it does feel like anything can happen. will be fun to watch that. I am going to go chalk on the women's tournament, though. I, I got to go South Carolina. I just don't think anybody can beat them. Yeah, that, that's certainly a good pick, Dan. How about on the Ohio State side of things, though? The synchronized swimming team, Dan, it's won its 34th national championship. Talk about a powerhouse Buckeye sports program. And of course, our very own Chase Brown is actually the son of you know Ohio State's uh, synchronized swimming head coach. So it was a, a great weekend for the Brown family. Yeah. Chase's mother, Holly Vargo Brown, won her sixth national coach of a year award in synchronized swimming after leading Ohio state to a national championship. So certainly a, a dynasty there and congratulations to the entire Brown family on that accomplishment. Uh, we'll also give a shout out to men's hockey, which much like uh, women's basketball, they had a, a very impressive win in the uh, Sweet 16 of their sport, beating Harvard in a in a route in their first round game. Uh, but their run ended against Quinnipiac in, in the quarterfinals. So uh, not, you know, certainly, uh, again, like women's basketball, uh, they would love to be in the, the Frozen Four, which is coming up in a couple weekends. Uh, but still an impressive season for them uh, to make it into uh, the final eight teams uh, of their sport in the NCAA tournament. And really, a great winner all around for Ohio State sports. Uh, you know, again, women's basketball making the Elite Eight, wrestling getting fourth in the NCAA, women's hockey making it to the NCAA final, men's hockey in the quarterfinals. Really, a lot of Ohio State sports teams who had great winners, just not the men's basketball team. 
<laughs> yeah, all the success of the other programs kind of just makes the 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 disappointing season for Ohio State basketball under Chris Holman seem, you know, all the more disappointing. But, you know, perhaps there are brighter horizons ahead for that team. Well, we will look forward to being back in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Saturday for Student Appreciation Day. And uh, we'll be back next week to share uh, what more we've learned about the Ohio State football team uh, and anything else in Ohio State sports with you all. So uh, thanks for listening as always, and we'll catch up with you again soon.